Today, we are starting our series called Heroes, Faith Heroes. And it's going to go for eight weeks. It's going to be our summer series. And what we're doing, as the name strongly implies, is we're going to look into the scripture and pick out men and women who God raised up to be real heroes of the faith. And we're going to look at their lives and examine their lives and try to draw lessons out from the study of their lives to understand how we might better go on our journey with God. So step aside, Captain America, step aside, Superman and Batman. We are going to study real heroes of the faith. But let's start with a word of prayer. Father, thank you that you do choose to raise up good men and women of faith to be part of your story, part of this epic drama that you're unfolding on this earth. And as I teach right now, Father, I I understand at a deep level that what my friends here don't need to hear from is me. So, Father, please, would you speak and, and get me out of the way so that your word and your truth can go forth in the power of the Spirit and accomplish what you desire in the hearts and lives of my friends at Rock Hills. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're a football fan, you might have heard of a man named Dennis Bird. Dennis was born in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma in 1966. By all accounts, he was a great young man right from the beginning. As a, in his early teen years, he made the decision to follow Jesus. He got involved in his church, he got involved in Bible studies, and continued on his faith journey on into college. He went to the University of Tulsa, continued to live as a man of faith, graduated from there, married his college sweetheart, Angela. They had four kids together. He was a godly man, a godly husband, and a great dad. But he was also a great football player. He'd been all-state in Oklahoma gotten a scholarship at the University of Tulsa, played there where he made the All-American team. In 1992, he was drafted by the New York Jets. And he was drafted and became, worked and played there for about five years. And during that time became their best player. In his third and fourth year, he led his team in sacks and he led the NFL in sacks. He was on a trajectory to be a true superstar. And then... On November 29th, 1992, the Jets were playing a game against the Kansas City Chiefs. Dennis Bird played defensive end. He came streaking around the end and was just about to sack David Craig, the quarterback. David Craig, sensing him, stepped up into the pocket. And what, what Dennis Bird did not know is that his good friend, Scott Morriso, was coming around the other end. As he went to make the sack, and David Craig stepped up, Morriso was coming at him at a high speed. He was so surprised by that that he said he did something he'd never, ever done before in a football field. He lowered his head. If you play football, you know that's the worst thing you can possibly do. You're always supposed to tackle with your face mask into the person because your neck muscles can absorb the shock of the blow. With his head down and he and Morriso hitting at a very high rate of speed, his neck muscles couldn't absorb the shock. 
Instead, the shock went into his neck vertebrae, and his C4 and C5 shattered. He got a spinal cord injury and lay on the field, paralyzed from the neck down. Now, you can't hear about something like that and wonder, why would God let that happen? Especially, perhaps, to a man of faith, a man who'd committed to following God. I hope to answer that question and more as we open God's word and study it together. So we're going to be studying in the book of Genesis. turns out the account of Abraham, the hero I'm going to be teaching on today, scans about 13 chapters in the book of Genesis. Now, if you asked a Jewish person who the greatest hero of their faith would be, they would all say Abraham, because he is literally the father of the Jewish faith. You see, when God was making a decision to raise up a people through whom he was going to bring the Messiah, he looked down on earth and took a hold of Abraham and said, you are going to be the first one through whom I bring this great nation of Israel. And so every Jew on earth can trace their genealogy to Father Abraham. And so he is the greatest hero of their faith. And and the account of his life spans 13 chapters in the book of Genesis. And and you could literally do five or six sermons on on the life of Abraham. But since I have about 25 minutes today, I'm going to have to try to condense it and give you a quick overview of his life. So Abraham was 75 years old, living in a place called Haran. That would be like modern-day Iraq. He and his wife Sarah had been unable to have any children. God calls down to him and says, Abraham, I want you to follow me. I want you to leave your home, your friends, your family, and your country and follow me and I will make you a great nation. And Abraham basically says, okay, Lord, I'm in. I'm going to follow you. So at the age of 75, he picks up everything and leaves along with some other family members. During the next 15 years, he has some epic adventures because God is bringing him to Canaan, which we now know as Israel, the promised land. He gets to Canaan and God says, this is your country. This is where you're going to live. But by the way, there are some other tribes in here and you're going to have to go in there and drive them away. And so Abraham wins some great military victories. He, He battles famines in the land. He has intense relational drama with his wife and other relatives. And he goes through all of that. And all of that is crammed into 13 chapters in the book of Genesis. And as I scanned the life of Abraham and I thought, what lessons can we derive from here? What I saw was during the life of Abraham, God distinctly called Abraham by name three different times. And so we're going to look at those three calls of God on Abraham's life. The first call that God made in Abraham's life is found in chapter 12 of Genesis. Hopefully we have that scripture. In chapter 12, verse 1, God calls him. And at this time, uh, he's known as Abram. He later gets his name changed to Abraham. But at this time, he's known as Abram. And God says this. The Lord said to Abram, calls him by name, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and, and you will be a blessing. Now, one of the things I didn't tell you about this journey of Abraham 
is the relational issues. Because see what happened as he was going through all those episodes between 75 and 90, he was waiting for God to give him kids. He says, how can I make, how can you make me a great nation? You haven't even given me any kids. And so one day, finally, God says, okay. He brings Abraham out and he says, look up at the sky. Abraham does. He says, see those stars, Abraham? You can't even count them, but your descendants are going to be more numerous than the stars. And Abraham goes, okay, Lord, I believe you. Well, a few more years pass, still no children. Finally, his wife Sarah comes to him and she says, Abraham, this isn't working. It's obvious I'm barren. I can't have any kids, so here's what we ought to do. We have this maidservant, Hagar. You go tonight, spend the night with her, and she will produce a child for us, and that we will take that as our son, our child. And Abraham goes, okay. And so he does, and their plan works, and Ishmael is born. But God comes back a few years later and says, no, Abraham, that wasn't my plan. My plan is for you and Sarah to have a child. And Abraham goes, okay, I believe you, Lord. And sure enough, a few years later, a child is born to Sarah. At that point, God sends off Ishmael and Hagar with a blessing, and the three of them are left to make their way. But the call of Abraham, the call to begin begin the journey, occurred in chapter 12, when God said, Abraham, leave your home, your family, and your country, and come follow me. And what I want to suggest to you is that is a call that God makes in the life of each and every person. He calls you by name, just as he did with Abraham. And really, that's the decisive moment in every person's life. Every person comes to a crossroad. When God calls their name, they have a decision to make. Are they going to trust God? Are they going to go with him? Or are they not? And the Bible says that decision determines your ultimate destiny, where you will spend eternity. And there's a couple things I want you to understand about that call when God calls your name. The first thing is that call is not based on any merit, on anything you did to earn that call. You see, Abraham at that time was living in Ur, modern-day Iraq, and they were sun worshipers. And so what would have happened if the crops weren't good, if the right mix of sun and rain didn't occur, they would most likely take a child and sacrifice a child to the gods. This is not a guy who earned the the choice that God made in, in choosing him. God chooses people because he is a gracious, loving God. And, And I can say the same thing in my life. When God called my name, By any measure, I was not a good man. I did not deserve that call in my life. But God, because of his love, relentless love and grace, he called me. So that's the first thing you need to understand. You don't earn the call of God. And the second thing is no one seeks God. God always is the one that initiates the call. And again, we see that in Abraham. There's no, there is no uh, facts in here that indicate in any way that that Abraham was seeking God. He just wasn't. And in fact, Romans 3 says these specific words. No one seeks God, not one. Now, I know it felt to me like I was seeking God. 
It sometimes feels as though we've done a lot of work in seeking God out on the journey. But maybe an example will help you understand that it isn't really true. God always initiates. So a few years back, I got to be good friends with a guy named Clay Burnett. A lot of you, guys, a lot of you folks know Clay. And our friendship developed, and, and he was coming regularly with his girlfriend, Sarah. And then one day, we're having lunch, and I say to Clay, I said, Clay, so do you believe in Jesus? Have you put your faith in him? He said, well, to be honest, no, I haven't. I said, well, why have you been coming to church so much? He said, well, I'm in love with Sarah, and I want to spend time with her. And, and, and I understood that. And I said, well, why haven't you put your faith in Jesus? And he said, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I'm not, I'm not sure I understand you know, what God is trying to do through this. And so I said to him, I said, would you be willing to look at some books that lay out the powerful and logical arguments for the truth of the faith and, and examine those together and see if God does make sense? He said, okay, I'll do that. Over the course of several months, we did look at those books. We studied them, and after several months... Clay decided to put his faith in Jesus. And last, in 2014, Easter of 2014, Clay was baptized right here on this stage. He and Sarah got married and going to live happily ever after, I'm sure. But, you know, from one perspective, it would be easy to say that Clay did the seeking out. Because that's what it looked like to people looking from the outside. But what I want to suggest is that God called his name. God knew how to get Clay's attention, and he called Clay's name. He just happened to do it through a beautiful young lady. And I can relate to that because God did very much the same thing in my life. I was not seeking God. I was far from God. In fact, I was going to divorce Jan. And then she made the decision to follow Jesus. And when I saw her, I saw that she had a peace and contentment that really drew me to her. And that's the way God called my name, through Jan. Because seeing that peace and contentment, I was finally motivated to look at the truth of the faith and went on a journey and became a Christian. And so here's what I want to suggest to you today. If you're standing here, if you're sitting here this morning, and you've put your faith in Christ... What I want to suggest is, despite what you may think, at some point in your life, God called your name. You see, God, yes, he loves all of mankind. He loves the world. God so loved the world. But he doesn't call the world as a group. We're not a bunch of cattle that he does a cattle call. God is a personal, relational God, and he called your name. And maybe he did it through a father or a mother or a coach. But in some way, shape, or form, I think if you look back at your life, you will realize that God personally called your name. Now, if you're sitting here and you've never put your faith in Christ, if you've never made the decision to follow Jesus, what I want to suggest to you is this. I believe with all my heart that the fact that you're sitting here today means that he's calling your name right now. Think about it, folks. This is the 4th of July weekend. There's 10 million other things you could be doing right now. The reason you are sitting here, I believe with all my heart, is because God called your name. Maybe you came because you thought you were satisfying a spouse or a friend or whatever the reason, but I want to suggest to you that this is not a coincidence. 
You are here because God has personally called your name. And, and why not respond to that personal call right now? If you want to do that, it's really quite simple. The first thing you have to do is just admit that you're a rebel, that you rebelled against God, that you broke his rules. Just admit that. And then understand that because God is infinitely just, he can't just sweep that sin and rebellion under the rug. There has to be a payment for it. And then believe that God sent Jesus to make that payment on your behalf. Put your faith in what Jesus did to pay for your sins. And then do your best to follow God on the rest of this earthly journey. And if you're willing to do that, then congratulations, you've just become a child of God. And I'd love to talk to you more about it. Feel free to come talk to me after the service or email me at al at rockhills.com or or if you want to ask questions about that, I would love to do that too. But that is how you respond to God. And that's the first call, the call to follow God. The second call that God makes in all our lives is the call to put God ahead of everything else. And we saw that in that chapter 12. God says to Abraham, Abraham, leave home and country and family and friends and follow me. That's that's a very radical call to follow God. I mean, this isn't like today where you just move to another city and there's, a, there's an internet and there's a power grid and wells. I mean, who knows what was there? And, and Abraham said yes. And that's a little bit of a scary thing that Abraham did. And, you know, I've been honored to share my faith journey with literally thousands of people over the 27 years I've been a Christian. I've done it in churches. I've done it in conferences. I've done it in small groups. And many, many times I have people coming up to me, people who are questioning about God, trying to decide whether to put their faith in Jesus. And and as I answer questions, so often what comes to the surface, if they're being real and authentic, is this question. Al, if if I put my faith in Jesus, is he going to make me go be a missionary in Africa? (laughs) And I always respond the same way. Of course not. He'll probably send you to Iran, and ISIS is going to behead you, so don't worry about it. No, I don't, that isn't what I say. You know, look, I've been on this journey for 27 years. I've seen so many people make the decision to follow Jesus. I've never seen God once ask them to go be a missionary in a foreign country. Now, I'm sure that's happened. I'm sure it could happen. That's not generally the way God works. Generally, when he calls your name and you respond, he puts you as part of his plan right where you are. But I do know one thing for sure. He always calls us to be part of a church community, a faith community. That's part of the plan that he lays out in the Bible. There are no solo travelers on this journey, folks. So if you do make that commitment then you're responsible under God's authority to become part of a faith community. And if you do that, part of his instruction for being part of a faith community is to be part of serving, using the gifts that God's given you. And if you do that here at Rock Hills, just for instance, that means one Sunday a month, you're going to come here and you're going to be part of the setup team or part of the base camp or something. And you know what? You will be leaving, in a sense, your friends and family. Another thing that God expects when you're part of a faith community 
is that you give financially to that faith community. And I know that's a scary... These are not small sacrifices, folks. These are very real sacrifices. Not quite what the ones Abraham made, but these are all sacrifices that God is calling the people of God to make. And if you do that, if you do share the resources that God has blessed you with, guess what? Those resources leave the country and family and friends because you will not be able to go out maybe quite as often with your family and friends. And that money will go overseas. We support a church planter in Nepal who's planting churches all over that Buddhist country. Money given to Rock Hills goes to Honduras to build clean water systems. goes around San Antonio. So your money will leave home and country and family and friends. And that's all part of God's commitment. Now, now hold on. Don't freak out. The news gets better, okay? But before it gets better, it gets a little worse. Because God always calls us not just to put him first, but because he's omniscient, because he knows everything, he knows what you treasure most. And so he always calls his people to put him ahead of the things that they most love and look to. And we see that in the story of Abraham. And let's take a look at that. It's in Genesis 22. And it goes something like this. I think we have the, uh, or excuse, yeah, Genesis 22. I think we have those scripture. And we'll read it together. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, again, calls him by name to put his most precious possession before, or put God before his most precious possession. Here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. You see, folks, God knew that Abraham's most precious possession was Isaac. He had been infertile, and and they'd been unable to have kids for so long. When he finally had Isaac, it was the apple of his eye. He put all his hopes and dreams in Isaac. And God knew that. And God loves us enough not to let that happen. So let's continue with the story. Early the next morning... Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. 
But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by the horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. You know, this is an amazing story, amazing story of faith. And I remember when I first read this story, my thought was, well, isn't that kind of cruel of God? Why would he ask someone to do that? And, and I realize now the answer is this. God loves us enough not to let us worship something ahead of him. He just, he loves us enough not to let that happen. And let me see if I can help you understand that. You see, whatever you treasure most in your heart, whatever you are looking for, for satisfaction, that is what you are worshiping. And interestingly, if you keep that, uh, those verses up again from Genesis 22, he says to his servant, stay here, and Isaac and I are going to go and worship. That is the true act of worship, folks. When you realize something in your heart is ahead of God, and you say, Lord, I'm willing to put that on the altar and only worship you first and foremost. And, and I don't know what you are worshiping, if you have anything ahead of God. So many people in our country look to other things for their ultimate satisfaction, even Christians. Some look to relationships. Some look to money and possessions. Some look to their children. Some look to their jobs. And what God would say to you is, you were designed for so much more. You know what you were designed for? You were designed for infinite beauty. Your heart was shaped for a perfect love relationship with a God that will never let you down. You were designed for the wisdom of the universe. Try having any of that satisfied by stuff of this world. It's not going to happen. And so, if your job or any of those things are first, God loves you so relentlessly, he's going to work on you and help you put him first. Because here's the truth, folks. There's nothing wrong with a great and satisfying job. There's nothing wrong with making a lot of money. There's nothing wrong with a beautiful relationship with your spouse or with your kids. All those things are wonderful. They just make lousy gods. They will never satisfy. You were designed for so much more, and God will not stop until you realize that. And so that's what he did with Abraham. He said, Abraham... Don't you see? Isaac will never satisfy the depth of the yearning in your heart. Only I will. And so finally Abraham said, you're right. And he gave his life over to God.
So the second call is to put every put God ahead of everything else in your life. The third call, this is the sweet one. This is the good news finally. The third call is when God calls your name to give you back everything that you have sacrificed in putting him first. And I'm going to get to that in a second, but I can't I cannot address this passage without pointing out the prophetic significance of it. You see, the Bible has a lot of prophecy. Prophecy is something predicting the future. Some of it is very specific and very literal. So the prophet Isaiah said, a Messiah is going to come, and he's going to be born of a virgin. We all know that prophecy, and that was literally fulfilled. But there are many other prophecies in the Bible that deal with events that mirror something in the future. They're called a model or a type of a future event. Now, what do you think a father willing to sacrifice his son on a mountain might be a prophetic image of? Father God willing to sacrifice his son Jesus on Mount Calvary. This is such a clear prophetic image of the sacrifice of Jesus on Calvary. And as you look more deeply at the story, some of the details are pretty amazing. So if you could put 22 back up, we'll look at just a couple. You see, on the Jewish mindset, when someone says, it's a deal, then it's a done deal right then and there. So God says to Abraham in chapter 22, he says, go and sacrifice your son. And in Abraham's mind, he says, okay, Lord, it's a deal. From that moment... Isaac was essentially dead. And, and Hebrews 11 actually says this. At the moment when God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, Abraham said, yes, Lord. And from that moment on, he was dead. But Abraham reasoned that God could raise him to life. Now, after Jesus was crucified, how long was it before he was raised from the dead? Three days. So, thinking like the Jewish man that Abraham is, God asked him to sacrifice Isaac. He travels to the place where the sacrifice is going to happen. And then in verse 4, it says this. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. And the events of God providing a substitute occur on the third day. So Isaac died to Abraham. Three days later, God raised him from the dead. But there's other details. When Jesus was beaten and was about to be crucified. They put the cross on his back, and he carried it up Mount Calvary. Now, there had to be dozens of ways for the wood of the sacrifice to get up to the top top of Mount Moriah. But what does it say? It says this. It says in verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. Wow. So Isaac carried his cross up the mountain. There's other things. These things start to become pretty astonishing. So finally, he's about to sacrifice Isaac, and what happens? A substitute is provided. And verse 14 says this. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Now, wait a minute. I thought 
God just provided, past tense. I mean, he was about to sacrifice Isaac. This ram appears, and a provision is made to save his son. Why didn't he name this mountain the place where God provided? Why did he name it the Lord will provide? Well, if you were to travel to Israel today and ask someone to take you to Mount Moriah, they would take you to Jerusalem. And there would be a hill outside of Jerusalem called Mount Moriah. And that's where they have determined was where Abraham was willing to sacrifice Isaac. If you travel to Israel today and ask someone to take you to Mount Calvary, they would take you to Jerusalem. They would take you on a hill just outside the gates of Jerusalem. And that's where Jesus was crucified. Because Mount Moriah is the same mountain as Mount Calvary. 1,500 years before the crucifixion of Christ, God has these historical events in Abraham's life And they are so rich on so many levels because one of the things God was communicating through that event is that he will provide. That is why Abraham called this mountain the place where God will provide. I'd love to do a, a whole sermon on the prophetic implications of this chapter. They really are pretty amazing. Uh, maybe I'll do that someday. But the final call, the sweetest call that I mentioned, is when God finally calls you and gives you back everything that you are willing to sacrifice on his behalf and many, many times over. And so this is something that Jesus actually talks about, and I think we have this scripture. It's in Luke chapter 18. And Peter, as usual, is mouthing off and and kind of whining. (laughs) And Peter says, Lord, we left everything we owned and followed you. And this is what Jesus said. Yes, Jesus said, and you won't regret it. No one who has sacrificed home, spouse, brothers and sisters, parents and children, whatever, will lose out. It will all come back multiplied many times over in your life and then the bonus of eternal life. Do you see that? It doesn't matter what you give up. Just like Abraham, your home, your country, your family. Then he says, whatever, whatever you give up, God is going to multiply many times over. And other translations say 30, 60, 100 times more, whatever you give up. And folks, that has been my experience. You see, my one true God, my highest God was hedonism, was pleasure. That was the God that I was worshiping, the God that I was seeking to find ultimate satisfaction from. And when God called my name very personally, I had to decide whether to follow him. And what I wrestled with for over a year and a half was do I believe it, and do I believe it enough to sacrifice all these things that I think are satisfying me? But the truth was, they never fully satisfied. I was always empty. And so finally, I made the decision. Instead of looking to food and drink and many relationships and money, 
I decided I was going to follow God. I was, I, was, I was pursuing all those things without restriction, without rules, without guidelines. And I knew to follow God meant I was going to have to have guidelines and rules. And as I very reluctantly put my faith in Jesus and started to follow him, at first I was kind of depressed. I was, what am I going to do with my life now? And then an amazing thing began to happen. I began to notice that as I used money as God directed, money didn't have such a hold over me. It wasn't, it wasn't this, this mean slave master just controlling my life. As I used food and drink, I began to see how, what a joy they were. When, when I finally stayed fully committed to Jan solely in a relationship, I began to see what God had in store for me in the true, loving, committed relationship. And, and it was more joy and satisfaction than I ever could have imagined. And I'm living proof that whatever you give up for God, he gives back a hundred times over. Now it's time to return to Dennis Bird. Dennis is lying paralyzed on the turf in the Meadowlands in New York. He's paralyzed from the neck down. And as he later recounted, and at no surprise at all, that the first feelings he had were total panic and fear. He couldn't feel his hands or his feet. He couldn't move a muscle. He had trouble breathing. Over the next few days, they battled for his life. And, and when it became clear that he was going to live, the doctor said, Dennis, you're never going to walk again. But Dennis Bird says that something happened. Shortly after he became paralyzed and felt that p- fear and panic, and, and he said, much sooner than you might imagine, I was flooded by this peace. I was flooded by the presence and the love of God. And over the days that followed, as the, as the doctors were saying, you're never going to walk again, God was speaking to Dennis Bird. He said, Dennis, that's not true. You are going to walk again. Someday you will rise and walk. And it probably doesn't surprise you that God was the one that was right. Dennis Bird wrote an autobiography about his journey, and he titled it, Rise and Walk, the words he heard from God in the darkest moments of his life. That's been almost 25 years. It happened in 1992. And now Dennis Bird is walking. He hasn't regained full functions, but he gets around quite well. He's a football coach in Shawnee, Oklahoma. He's a motivational speaker and goes around telling churches and other groups about his journey and about how God came through. And what he tells them is this. Early on, remember as an early teen, he made a commitment to follow Jesus. And Jesus was first in his life until he became a superstar football player. And over time, fame and fortune and football became number one. And during those long months and years of rehabilitation, Dennis said, you know what? God became first in my life. Football was no longer at the top of the list, and it was something that didn't satisfy anyway. 
And what I've realized now, 25 years later, is that the joy and satisfaction I have with my relationship with God was worth every minute of it. He said, I would not change anything about my life, not even the accident that paralyzed him. Folks, that is always the way God works when he calls your name. Not always that dramatically. But my prayer for each one of you is that when you hear God call your name, you'll say yes and follow him. And it will be an epic drama, folks. And I have a warning. Sometimes it'll be wild. Sometimes it'll be unpredictable. Sometimes it'll be a little bit scary. But I promise you this. More important, Jesus promises you this. That whatever you give up for God, he's going to give you 30, 60, 100 fold more. If you decide to go with God, it is going to be an epic journey. And I promise you, the joys and the satisfactions will be unimaginable. And you will have a life that you always dreamed about. Let's pray. Father, so often when I finish my message, I, I feel as though my, my words have been just so meager and have failed to be sufficient. But I know that you are sufficient, Father, because there was a day when with a few crumbs of bread and a few fish, you fed 5,000 people. And so, Father, please... Would you come today and take these meager words and feed my friends here at Rock Hills? Feed them with your truth so that it might be strengthen them to live well and they might have the courage to go on this amazing journey with you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.